Welcome to episode 172 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on October 16th, 2021. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. The Linux news cycle is just like any other with ups and downs, and sometimes there are weeks when it's hard to find news, and some weeks, like this week, there's way more than I could possibly fit into the show. This week I had almost enough for two episodes, so let's get started with another jam-packed episode of your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean and by Bitwarden. Up first in the show, we have some awesome news from Pine64, and that is the PinePhone Pro has been announced. Also, you can check out the exclusive interview that we had on Destination Linux 248. You'll, have, you'll find a link in the show notes for that if you'd like to check it out. Now, let's talk about what the PinePhone Pro is and what kind of specs it has. So if you're not familiar, the PinePhone Pro is the pro version of the original PinePhone. Now you can still get the PinePhone if you want to, so you wanna have a, a cheaper cost, like you can get that version rather than getting the new PinePhone Pro that will be coming out fairly soon. Now the pre-orders are available right now for developers, but if you are not a developer, you would probably wanna wait later on uh, for the the Explorer edition, which is like kind of like the Braveheart edition of the original PinePhone, where it's for enthusiasts and that sort of thing. And if you wanna wait a little bit longer, that is also an option for, you know, after, after everybody's been, all the enthusiasts have tested it and that kind of thing. But I am super excited about this for many reasons. The PinePhone Pro has been something I've been looking forward to for well, ever since they announced the first one in, in general. Uh, but they've also talked about a lot of cool tech that is going into this phone. So this is a, a $400 or $399 uh, ver phone that has uh, a rock chip RK3399, which is a modified version of that chip. And this is the same chip that's in the Pine the Pinebook Pro, which is really cool that they've got that into the uh, the phone. But there's also noted that it is modified, so it's, it's made to be uh, voltage locked and that kind of thing. So it's not the same output that the Pinebook Pro version does. It has an ARM Mali T860 four-core uh, four GPU. It has four gigs of LPDDR4 RAM, which is another gig higher than the previous convergence model. It has 128 gigabytes of eMMC flash storage. This is a significant amount more than the 32 gigabytes that was in the convergence package version of the PinePhone. It has an IPS display with 1440 by 720 resolution, and it is a, using Gorilla Glass 4 protection. Well, Gorilla Glass 4 is the version 4 of the Gorilla Glass. <laughs> that kind of came out a little awkward when the way I said it, but hey, it happens. So they also got an upgraded camera, which is a 13 megapixel Sony IMX258 main camera, which also uses Gorilla Glass 4. And they have the old, the old PinePhone or the original PinePhone, the five megapixel OmniVision camera that is in that phone is now the front facing camera of this new PinePhone Pro, which is pretty awesome. Now it has all the stuff that you would expect from the original PinePhone in this new version, like the Pogo pins, which is a, is a compatible with the original PinePhone. Uh, they also have a, a micro SD slot and the privacy hardware switches for like the camera, the microphone, the Wi-Fi, the GPS, the LTE, all that sort of stuff. 
which is just fantastic. And we have an article on frontpagelinux.com that gives you more details about all the different specs and you know different configurations and things that you can check out in the uh, and I'll have that in the show notes. But also, I want you to check out the Destination Linux interview we had with uh, Wukash from Pine64 to talk about this latest and greatest version of the Pine phone because I I, I can't wait. We're going to have to wait a little bit because I'm not a developer, uh, but still. I'm looking forward to this so much. And if you are interested in checking out more information about the PinePhone Pro, you can check out the links in the show notes. Up next in the show, let's talk about the latest release of Ubuntu with 21.10. Now, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, some good, some not so much, but we're going to start with the good stuff. So what's new in Ubuntu 21.10? Well, they have updated the kernel to 5.13, which brings new hardware support. Not the absolute latest and greatest hardware support, but it is very much improved from the previous version, which is great. And you can check out more information about what hardware is supported and just more details about the, that version of the Linux kernel of 5.13 in episode 158 of This Week in Linux. And also in this latest release of 21.10, they have the uh, GNOME 40 edition, which we talked about on, in March of this year to, on Twill 144. So if you want more details about what all comes with GNOME 40, like the touch jet, touchpad gestures and all that sort of stuff, also the new horizontal workflow, that's included in this new version of Ubuntu. Uh, but if you want to learn more about the whole uh, changes that happened with GNOME 40, check out episode 144 of This Week in Linux. Now, also late, latest in this Ubuntu 21.10 is that the Wayland session is now available for NVIDIA GPU users. We're going to talk more about that later in the show. But uh, Pulse Audio 15 is also brought in with support for Bluetooth LDAC and aptX codecs, as well as uh, HFP Bluetooth profile, providing better audio quality for people using Bluetooth. So that's great. To, uh, they still don't have that best of uh, support for Pipewire, which, you know, fingers crossed the next version put some effort into Pipewire, but uh, Pulse Audio 15 is much improvement to the previous edition of what they were shipping with. Now, the next thing that is going to be kind of controversial, and this is where the whole not-so-much stuff comes in, Firefox 33 is now shipped in Ubuntu 21.10 as a snap package by default in a joint effort between Canonical and Mozilla. Now, I suspect this is going to get some negative reactions because some people have issues with snaps, uh, loading, loading slower than other formats, um, known for having issues with integrating in, into the desktop, and also the uncertainty of how this affects distros that are derivatives like Elementary OS or Linux Mint. Now, there are some benefits to this, with Mozilla being directly involved, making updates come faster, and that sort of thing. But with that said, this is bound to be a controversial decision. We talked about this when it was previously announced on a previous episode of Twill. But I think that it's... Um, I, I understand the reasoning, but I also am not a fan of it. So, you know, you can make up your own decision there. But let's move on. Now, another controversial decision is, well, this is not necessarily super controversial, but it is somewhat, and that is that they are focusing heavily on uh, developers and cloud enterprise stuff and pretty much didn't, de didn't mention the desktop at all in this latest announcement. So they, they talked about developers, 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 and it gave me some flashbacks to the Balmer uh, speech related to that kind of thing. And speaking of that, there's also a weird quote that's in the latest blog post about Windows developers because it says, 
Window developers will be delighted with out-of-the-box support for graphical applications on Windows Subsystem for Linux, or WSL, which enables users to enjoy Ubuntu desktop applications without modification. So one of the things that was worth noting in the latest version of Ubuntu is how you don't need Ubuntu to run stuff in Ubuntu. Okay, that's weird. It's a little weird, but there you go. You can make up your own decision about that too. So the, the next version of Ubuntu is going to be the next LTS, which is 22.04. And we've got a code name that is released for this as well uh, this week. And that is Jammy Jellyfish. Now, the word Jammy is apparently used informally in the UK to mean very lucky or very good. So with any luck, Jammy Jellyfish will focus on the desktop for users and not follow along with the Balmer playbook again. So... If you'd like to learn more about the latest version of Ubuntu 21.10, I have links in the show notes. On October 14th, just a couple of days ago, the KDE Project celebrated their 25th anniversary, and what better way to celebrate that than with releasing a new version of the KDE Plasma desktop. So KDE Plasma 5.23 has been released, and it comes with a lot of polish on this great desktop environment. So to quote the blog post, they say that Plasma 25th Anniversary Edition is a leap forward in the quest for more performant and usable desktops. We have improved the speed and stability of Plasma while including changes that make it easier to use both on desktop and touch-enabled devices. So let's talk about some of the stuff that they've made improvements on. So they've updated the Breeze theme with a new Blue Ocean theme, and this has aimed to make everything much more clearly designed and that sort of thing. They've had a lot of enhancements like active elements lighting up when a window gets focused. The scroll bars are larger and more accessible, which they've also been redesigned to make that that work. There's some more uh, glossiness and added some more style to the desktop for like subtle improvements. And they've also done something that we've talked about in the previous episode related to making it possible to easily customize the accent color of the system. So you go to system settings and then go to colors and you can quickly choose an accent color and in the next version of plasma they're going to make it customizable so you can make whatever color you want but right now there's like i think nine options that you can choose from you can just click it and instead of if you don't want to have the default blue uh, plasma you can use you know whatever other color that's available there's red pink orange etc so if you're interested in that uh well you know we'll find some details in the show notes uh, but another nice addition is keywords while searching in kde system settings and one of the best parts about plasma is that it can do so much stuff and it has tons of options but also some people feel like it can do too much and has too many options so this update for the search settings will make it a lot easier for people to find things inside of system settings because it can do a ton, but it is kind of overwhelming if you're just getting started with Plasma and having this the search function improved is just great to see. Now, they're also have done some improvements to the kickoff application launcher. It has seen an overall uh, overhaul of the code, which takes care of many bug fixes and also makes many improvements. And there's also been improvements to the KD Discover Store and so much more. But I wanted to talk about something that I think is very important, and it's that the much improved Wayland support that is in this edition. So there's better touchpad gesture handling. There's improvements to uh, supporting drag and drop between native Wayland applications and ex-Wayland applications. Uh, multi-screen layouts are 
now retained across different sessions of X11 and Wayland. So if you configure, if you have multiple monitors and you configure it in a certain way, it will remember depending on, it, it won't forget when you switch to a different display server, which is awesome. And there's also been a lot more uh, support for or improvements to the Wayland support with KDE Plasma 523. Now, KDE Plasma has been my desktop of choice for almost eight years now. I've shared my story about how I tried out Plasma over the years, but for a quick recap, I was one of those people who dismissed Plasma for a while, and almost eight years ago, I took a KDE Plasma challenge, and I've been using it ever since. So to all my fellow Plasma peeps out there, I'm curious what your Plasma story is. How did you get started with Plasma? What makes you stick with it? That sort of thing. You know, this is basically, I'm curious because I wanted to, to you know, share this information on the DLN forum for like the anniversary for KDE Plasma, well, KDE specifically, not Plasma, KDE. And uh, so let me know in the comments below or on more preferably on the DLN forum. And the reason I suggest that the forum be used is because I've been receiving reports that long comments on YouTube are getting randomly deleted for some reason. So using the forum will bypass that issue completely. And with that said, which, whichever method you choose to use, use the hashtag KDE523andMe somewhere in the comment. Yeah, <laughs> KDE523andMe. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of KDE Plasma 523, you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now is the perfect time to dive into the DigitalOcean. Their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. And the app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever before using a simple, intuitive interface. You simply point your app platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all of the heavy lifting for you, whether that's using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, or even container images. All of this is supported on the app platform. Now, also running the app platform on their own infrastructure makes it possible for DigitalOcean to keep your costs significantly lower than with other products. And it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup as well. And as a, a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started by, by building your world-changing app on the app platform for free. That's right, for free. Actually, better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we have some great news from NVIDIA. And that's right, great news from NVIDIA. So NVIDIA has announced the beta release of 495 series of the Linux driver. Now, what's new in this 495 series? Well, they've added an indicator for resizable bar support on compatible systems. Uh, they've fixed a bug that could cause the X server to crash when starting a new server on the like, prime configurations. They've also changed the minimum requirement for the Linux kernel to be now Linux 3.10, which is very old, yes, but it was 2.6.32, so which is way older. Uh, so they are making upgrades to like what the requirements are for this latest version. But the most exciting with this latest release of the NVIDIA driver series is the GBM API support. Now, for those unfamiliar with what GBM API is, GBM stands for the Generic Buffer Manager. And this is great news for NVIDIA hardware users because this makes it better for supporting the Wayland display server. After years of waiting and NVIDIA 
trying to pursue a different alternative API instead, which was the EGL streams, NVIDIA has now dropped EGL streams and has finally adopted the GBM API. This greatly enhances the Wayland support for NVIDIA's proprietary driver stack and makes it compatible with a lot more Wayland software. For example, Wayland-only window managers like Sway should now run just fine with this new driver. Now, this news of NVIDIA supporting GBM isn't necessarily a surprise to long-term listeners of Twill because we covered this back in September on episode 167 of This Week in Linux, but it is great to see that it's becoming a reality now with this latest beta release of the NVIDIA drivers. For those with NVIDIA hardware, this is really great that NVIDIA GBM support will uh, is coming, but it also will depend on a particular uh, your distro's Mesa driver support. So it requires Mesa 21.2 or newer to be able to use this support with Wayland. So if you have a distribution that does not have that version, you will have to wait a little bit longer until it does. If you'd like to learn more about this latest beta release for the driver of the uh, 495 series for NVIDIA, you'll find links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest version of Ventoy, version 1.0.54. Now, this is notable, even though that number sounds like a maintenance release or point release, but this is really good. So Ventoy is an open source tool that allows you to create multi-boot USB drives. Ventoy is a really slick solution too, because it makes it possible to create bootable USBs through the, uh, an interesting way by just having to simply copy image files onto the USB drive. So with Ventoy, you don't even need to extract the ISO files for the tools to work. And plus it also supports uh, image files, EFI, VHD, WIM files, and some like a lot more so that like the VHDX and that kind of thing, which it can boot directly. Now also the latest version of this 1.0.54 adds a GUI mode. Now this is very cool because previously you would have to use the command line interface for creating multi-boot USB drives. And now it's even easier with the GUI tool that today are calling Vent Ventoy to Disk. And it essentially makes it where you have a GUI mood in the live ISO image of Ventoy. And it's based on the incredibly lightweight TinyCore Linux distro. If you're not familiar with TinyCore, TinyCore is really cool. And it's also very specifically purposed to be incredibly lightweight. So it's not for the average user, but it is like, I think like the fully installed running version is like 50 megabytes to run it. It's very lightweight, but again, it's meant for this kind of thing, having like a embeddable base or, you know, creating something with it. It's very cool though. So if you're interested, I'll have some links in the show notes to learn more about TinyCore. But this is fantastic news from Ventoy because you can, of course, still switch to use the command line version if you want to, but it's great to see that a GUI uh, tool in, has been added to Ventoy for people who are wanting to use a multi-boot system and they want to do it in an easier way to do it, which is great. Uh, so if you'd like to learn more, I'll have links in the show notes below. And if you also like to learn more about how Ventoy works and just to get, you know, getting started with it and that kind of thing, you can check out uh, Ryan Dosgeek's video on his channel. I'll have that linked in the show notes below as well. Up next in the show is the latest release of the DevOne distro. This is DevOne 4.0, and this is based on the latest version of Debian Bullseye, which is Debian 11.1, and it has kernel, a Linux kernel 5.10 LTS. Now, DevOne 4.0 has a lot of new updates. It's got new themes for the bootloader and the display manager. It comes with an updated XFCE with a default uh, as a default desktop environment. But there's also other options for desktops if you want to. They claim that virtually all desktop environments are available in the in Dev that are in Debian are also in DevOne, though. 
likely not GNOME, and we'll get to that reason in a second. Uh, they've also improved a lot of accessibility things related to Dev1 and the installing of it, which is great. And uh, there is an option of three different init systems, sysv init, run it, or open RC. Now, why is an init system notable? Well, Dev1 was created as a response to Debian choosing to use the systemd project by default for their init system and also the other things that systemd does. If you're not familiar with what systemd is, well, systemd is a suite of basic building blocks for a Linux system. That's how they describe it. It provides a system and service manager that starts the, basically the rest of the system. So systemd provides uh, parallelization capabilities. It uses socket and dbus activation for starting services, offers uh, on-demand starting of daemons, keeps track of different processes and monitors them in relating to like Linux control groups, and also it maintains uh, mounts and auto mount points and all sorts of stuff. It's it's it does quite a lot, and that's one of the reasons why Dev1 is exists because. It's, it, Systemd is a rather controversial project and has been for years with many proponents and also many detra detractors. And one of the things that people say about it is that it do, does too much. And I don't necessarily agree with that. Personally, I'm a fan of Systemd. I think it provides a ton of great features. And the simplicity of setting up and enabling new services is something I quite like. It is very simple to do. Uh, however, I know there are some people who aren't interested in using Systemd, and for those people, DevWan 4.0 may be a distro worth checking out for you. So if, the, if you're one of those people, you'll find links about DevWan 4.0 in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with a lot of different tools, such as being able to store your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of that stuff. And you can also access your data across many different types of devices, whether it's a web browser extension or a mobile application or a desktop application or even on the command line. You can have access to your, your data on all of those options. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption on all of those devices before it ever leaves those devices so you know you're the only person with access to your data. And if that wasn't enough, Bitwarden is also, also open-source software and allows you to self-host it. What's even cooler is that they do auditing of their code so they have people they have third-party auditors come in to make sure that the code is as safe as possible and then they they share that data and the results on their blog post so the transparency of bitwarden is just awesome i'm a huge fan of bitwarden and for many reasons and i think you should check it out by going to bitwarden.com dln to get started and did i mention you can get started for free well you can but i also think you want to check out their premium account because you can get a ton of great features for less than a dollar per month that's right, for less than a dollar per month, you can get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time password, priority customer service, and so much more. And you get it all for less than a dollar per month. And you can also check out their family plans or their business plans, which makes it easier for you to set people up who don't have never used a password manager before. You can set them up with an account and also you know, create organizational vaults where you can share data back and forth in a secure way which is just fantastic. Such a fan of Bitwarden. Check it out, bitwarden.com slash DLN, and get started like many from the community have, there, and just enjoy having the peace of mind knowing that your data is safe in Bitwarden. So thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we have an interesting news from Yala, Yola, 
one of those two, has announced something that they're called the App Support for Linux Platforms. Now, this technology has been around for some time inside of their Selfish OS uh, for their phones. And this is, I'm thinking pretty sure about two, 2013 is since they've been using that uh, functionality. But I'm, I'm pretty sure it's also only been available on Selfish OS. But now with this new app support for Linux platforms, they're saying that it gives any embedded Linux compatible uh, platform the ability to run Android apps. Now, this is very important. I think that you know, having support for Android apps is something very, very important and very much needed for Linux ecosystem, uh, just because of having that as it's kind of a way to bridge the gap of some applications that people use, for example, like bank apps and that kind of thing. If that support is available in Linux in a general sense, it would also make it available to the Linux mobile operating systems like Ubuntu Touch, like Plasma Mobile, and that sort of stuff, which would be fantastic. So, they, uh, Yala claims that this application performance and user experience is also on par with native Android OS, which is super interesting. Now, this particular news topic is noteworthy for a couple of reasons. I think Android app support on Linux, like I said, would be very, very useful and would help bridge the gap of application availability in a lot of ways, not only just in desktop usage, but also like mobile Linux OSs that I mentioned. But the other reason it's noteworthy is it doesn't seem like this effort is being done for that or even end users at all, but rather for manufacturers or something. Because if you go down to learn information, they have this download white paper on their page. When you click it, it asks for in, like contact information and also wants you to choose what industry you're a part of. So if you're like automotive or whatever kind of industry. So it seems like it's mostly for manufacturers, not necessarily for the average end user, which is kind of disappointing. Uh, hopefully Yala sees this and thinks maybe we should also share with the ecosystem. That'd be great. So, uh, but, and also apparently it's uh, been reports that it's a proprietary platform as well. So maybe that's why they're only focusing on manufacturers. With that in mind, uh, the, if you're wanting to check out something that is similar, that is, has a lot of potential, check out Wadroid because, well, Wadroid is not really available for production use just yet, but it is making tons of progress very quickly. We actually had uh, someone from Wadroid on episode 162 of Twill for an interview, and they, we had a lot of great discussions about like what Wadroid is, what the goals of Wadroid is, and all these kinds of things. And if you want to learn more about Wadroid, I definitely suggest checking out the interview on episode 162 of This Week in Linux. I'll have that linked in the show notes. And if you want to learn more about Yola, Yala's white paper, you can download that maybe if you're lucky, because I tried to, and it didn't send me the email, so you might not be able to get it, but you also might. So if you want to learn more about that, link in the show notes. And if you want to learn more about Wadroid instead, well, links in the show notes for Wadroid in general, and also the interview on Twill 162. Up next in the show is the latest release of the Heroic Games Launcher. Now this is version 1.10.2, and if you're unfamiliar, this is a project that is made to bring the Epic Games Store to Linux since Epic Games themselves have yet to bother to do that. Sometimes I talk about Epic Games in the show, and I say, here's some positive things, here's some negative things, like the positive of bringing easy anti-cheat, which we talked about in a previous episode, and also the negatives of... Usually what we talk about with Epic Games is not, not positive. Uh, so, you know, I'm kind of torn about this, but I do hope that Epic Games brings the Epic Games Store to Linux 
not because I care necessarily about playing games from Epic Games, but more about the fact that I want all of the different platforms or all the different gaming uh, platforms to be available on Linux for those who do want to play those games. And because that would be great. And also, thanks to Valve and the Steam Deck, that might be possible. But for now, we have the Heroic Games Launcher. And the latest version of 1.10.2 has added a lot of great new features like the ability to install components from games that have selective downloads like Fortnite and Cyberpunk and stuff like that. Also, it's now possible to run the game using an alternative executable as well as being able to launch the game even if it's offline or if your system's offline with also being able to show you information whether the game can run offline or not on the game page. You can also show you the list of available DLCs and add a toggle to import or uh, install all of them or not, which is really nice, making it easier to get those DLC, DLCs set up. And it's also possible to check the download size and the install size before installing the game, unlike previous versions, which is great. And Heroic Games Launcher will now check for available uh, crossover bottles, which is basically to select a wine binary to, to support the game launching through, Epic, through the Heroic Games Launcher, which is fantastic. Now it does need crossover off or crossover, which from Code Weavers, if you don't have that, that is a uh, commercial product. So if, in order to get the crossover bottles, you will need the crossover application. However, it is fantastic. It works great, and you're also by getting the crossover uh, software, you are paying and funding the work on Wine because the people who work on Wine and also work on Proton create crossover. So there you go. If you get crossover, you are not only uh, helping fund and improve crossover, you're also helping fund and improve Wine and Proton because that's because Codeweaver makes all of that stuff, which is, by the way, thank you, Codeweaver, for making that stuff. <laughs> anyway, uh, they've also added an option to enable and disable uh, eSync or F-Sync inside of the Her Heroic Games Launcher. And if you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have links in the show notes below for the latest version of 1.10.2 of Heroic Games Launcher. Speaking of the Epic Games Store, initial support for the Epic Games Store has been added to the latest version of Lutris as well. And for those unfamiliar, Lutris, uh, and also if you're into gaming especially, I can pretty much guarantee you'll be interested in checking out Lutris because Lutris helps you install and play games from all sorts of eras and also from many different types of systems of ga like gaming systems like consoles and emulators and stuff. So it leverages and combines like the concept of using emulators or engine re-implementations re or compatibility layers and stuff like that to give you a central interface to launch all of your games. So the client can connect with existing services like uh, Steam, GOG, Humble Bundle, uh, DOSBox, all sorts of stuff. Can, you can use Lutris to have a single um, manager for your games and also makes it easier to install things as well. And in addition to the initial support for Epic Game Store, Lutris 0.5.9 also adds support for Steam for Windows as a game source for those titles you can't get working directly through Proton, which is awesome. And Lutris now has it possible for being able to launch games from Steam. Now, you might be wondering, why would you want to launch a game through Lutris via Steam if you could just use Steam? Well, the reason is likely, now they haven't said specifically, but likely for making Lutris available to those using the upcoming Steam Deck, which is a fantastic idea. 
They've also added support for DXVK NV API and DLSS, and also added support as an option for the compatible wine versions to use the FSR or AMD's Fidelity FX Super Resolution, which is an awesome piece of software that makes it possible to upscale uh, upscale games from you know older games into you know looking kind of HD in a nice way of doing it. And FSR is really interesting, and I might make a video about that in general because it's very cool. But moving on. Uh, they've also added a game scope option. Also, they have enabled make it, make it possible enabled by default to use eSync, and they've also made it possible to use Dolphin as a game source. Now, for those who don't know, Dolphin is a free and open source game console emulator for the GameCube and the Wii. So that's fantastic too. And they've also made it possible to imp- they've made it imp- they've improved the automatic installers for GOG. Uh, DOSBox, Scum VM games, and others. So there's so much more. Uh, Lutris is a fantastic project, and they make it possible to easily get started with some games that are not available in Steam or in other methods to play on Linux. So I'm such a fan of Lutris, and uh, yeah, thanks for making such a great project because there's a lot of stuff like getting Warframe is so easy with Lutris. If you'd like to learn more about Lutris, I'll have links in the show notes. On episode 169 of Twill, we talked about Epic Games announcing easy anti-cheat support for Linux and also BattleEye confirming that Linux support is coming for the Steam Deck. Now, this is great news, pretty much all thanks to Valve choosing Linux as the operating system for the Steam Deck. So again, thank you, Valve. Uh, However, this also raised some questions. Uh, For example, what games use EAC and BattleEye that would be affected by this uh, being able to have support for easy anti-cheat? Now, this is a very, or was, a very difficult question to answer because it would take time to gather a list of games using the various anti-cheat tools and then look for possible confirmations related to support and that sort of thing. But it appears that that effort has been made. A new website was shared this week on Reddit by Starzer, and it's called Are We Anti-Cheat Yet? So it's a comprehensive and crowdsourced list of games using anti-cheats and their compatibility with Linux or with Proton slash Wine. And this is essentially is a website that has a list of all the games that have committed to full anti-cheat compatibility with Linux. Now they have a, the list has three different categories of three different statuses. Uh, one is un- un- unconfirmed, confirmed, and supported. Supported means that it already is supported and confirmed means that it will be, have support and has been confirmed somewhere on Twitter or Reddit or GamingOnLinux.com made an article about it and that kind of thing. So they take all this information from a variety of sources like those and then creates this simple list to be able to check to see if it has or will have support. Now, this is fantastic. I think it is great that someone put, took it upon themselves to make this. And uh, it's also great that they made it available on a GitHub. So it's an open source approach. If you want to help improve the website or improve the database or whatever, or if you you found games or found confirmations, you can go to it and submit that information. So they say if you're not a programmer or lack and lack the capabilities to work on the site itself, you can still contribute by adding games to the list by opening a new issue on their GitHub and following the provided template. Now, I do have one little request that I hope that they add at some point is adding a column listing for the developer of the game. 
and which have like a link to their website or their contact page and that kind of thing, because this would make it easier for Linux gamers to get in touch with the developers to let them know what kind of interest there is for them to support anti-cheat in Linux. Now, this is not to be, you know, yelling at them to support it. Don't do that. Just send them and let them know, because there are some developers who don't get any uh, communication with the Linux community, and therefore they just assume that people in the Linux don't care or don't game. I've heard that many occasions for whether it's a developer for games or software say that they don't get a lot of attention for the thing, and that's why they don't do it. Like there was this one email client I talked to about support, and they said, "Well, our website doesn't get users from Linux." I'm like, of course they don't. Why would they? Why would they come to your website if you don't have a Linux support? So it creates this you know, circular reasoning problem. And I would think, I think it'd be fantastic if they added an ability to easily access the unconfirmed um, games and be able to have a, the group, the Linux community, nicely and politely request support. So that's just food for thought. If you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have links to the Are We Anti-Cheat Yet website in the show notes below. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, then please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And if you do become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss between different topics and also just hang out every week before and after the show because we do a a patron-only hangout that's in the during the pre-show. So while I'm setting up, the patrons can join me and we just have a little quick conversation for about 30 minutes or so. And then at the end of the show, we also have a post-stream hangout as well, which could be, I don't know, it depends on how long we want to make it go. It could be hours. It just depends. <laughs> also, you can support the show by ordering the This, this, this Week in Linux t-shirt, which I'm wearing, or the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to dealinstore.com. And also, while you're there at dealinstore.com, you can check out all the other great stuff that's there, like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, backpacks, aprons, so much great stuff. Check it out, dealinstore.com. And also, since you're at dealinstore.com, you can also check out the rest of the stuff at the Destination Linux Network, such as the other podcasting goodness that we have, such as the Pseudo Show, the GameSphere, DLN Extend, Hard Radix, Destination Linux, and so much more there. So go to destinationlinux.network to check that out. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to dealinlive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news. <laughs>